everybody. Welcome back to For the Girls. Today we are very, very excited to have Richard Reddy, aka The Spanners, on with us today. <laughs> he is a host of the Missed Apex F1 podcast, which is definitely one of our personal favorites and is a very, very popular podcast with millions of downloads. He hosts Missed Apex with panelists including F1 journalists, F1 strategists, and more, and their race recaps are always out in time for the Monday morning commute. So, Definitely check in to that. Um, we'll jump right in because we are so excited to get all of Spanner's takes. So with that, I'm Chessa. I'm Sarah. And I'm Tiggy. Spanner's, welcome. We are so happy to have you on. We're going to start with main takeaways. We'd love to get your main thoughts on the race and the weekend overall and any words of introduction you'd like to share. <laughs> well, firstly, I'm just checking that the booking was on purpose because you have Oscar <laughs> Piastri here instead of me, and then you've got Spanners slotting in. Well, okay, I'm not going to judge your guest <laughs> booking policy, uh, but I had a really fun weekend. And for someone who is generally a supporter of Formula One, you start to get a little bit worried when you see a few races not uh, go well and yeah. that are a little bit stagnant and you start to see complaints. And as a F1 fan, you know, since the 80s, I'm very much used to races being like that. Formula One was always fairly described as beads on a string. So you could put beads <laughs> on a string, lift one end up and watch the beads fall to the other end. And that was most races. So, you know, F1 has always been a kind of a nap sport uh, for for a lot of people especially you know in Europe traditionally so you'd sit on the sofa you'd watch the the start see who managed to gain a place in the first corner or so and then you kind of just drift out you turn the volume up you let it wash over you but that doesn't cut it in in today's F1 fandom no and I think that's that's fair because a lot of the the newer fan base I would say over the last 5 years they weren't sold that they didn't get drive to nap appearing on netflix they didn't say hey come come watch f1 it's a good way to catch up on on your power napping you know occupy the kids for a little bit watch the start and go to sleep so as a general well-wisher of f1 i i want everyone in the world to love it i want it to be the yeah. biggest sport i want everyone to share my passion and i kind of get a bit defensive of it when you have a baku and a miami that just didn't pop and they didn't pop because they're not great racetracks they're street circuits which is yeah, well, great sprinkle in the odd Miami, sprinkle in the odd Las Vegas. But to have five of those at the beginning of the season and have everyone go, no, oh, everyone's rubbish, everyone's rubbish. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not rubbish. It's the, it's the circuit. And then so you get Monaco, which you go, oh, okay, I guess for some reason, Monaco is just that persistent boil that won't pop on my foot of motorsport <laughs> watching. I'm never, ever going to get an invite to that paddock. Finally. Yeah, you're kind of famous for the, for the Monaco dislike. <laughs> No, no, no. Do you know what? It's fine as an event. What I don't like is I don't like being lied to. I don't like them saying, <laughs> actually, it is brilliant. You know, so have your event where you know nothing's going to happen and it's going to play out that way. But don't say to me, oh, you plebeian. The only reason you don't understand is because you've never been there. And if you <laughs> quaffed champagne at Sandovot, you would know for sure. Um, so what I don't like, that's what I don't like. It is what it is. But don't tell me that it's something different. Don't tell me Sunday is a nerve-wracking challenge, brackets in the dry, when it's a procession, when you can win with one cylinder. The parade. Yeah, so that, that's, what, that's all. I don't like being like gaslit into that. But it, no, it's like, have its place, but say what it is. So to finally get to Barcelona, which is kind of the first of the, the, the proper tracks, Bahrain aside, also Barcelona, though, has traditionally been a little bit of a parade itself because uh, that last chicane was really yeah. spreading cars out, no overtaking opportunities. So as, as again, this well-wisher to F1, I desperately wanted it to be a good race. And taking away that last chicane was great. It gave overtaking opportunities. They were able to race each other. It was competitive in the, in the midfield and the, the battle for second was competitive. And overall, it was a good race with strategy, not another one stop. And so as much as I enjoyed it, just watching it as a fan, as a, as a well-wisher, I was like, phew, people will stop yelling at F1 for a bit. Well, and it's funny because there were no flags at all, like no yellow flags, no red flags. There were no DNFs. So Just the, was... the black and white flag for Max, which yeah. we'll talk about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. Because also I have been getting a little stressed recently also as a well-wisher when some of my friends who are more casual fans of F1 will say, oh, well, it's just Red Bull domination. Like, why would I even watch? It's not going to be exciting. Max is just going to drive off. But races like this show that there can be 
big surprises, excitement, Mercedes for Tiggy, which we'll get into. So I was happy to just see that overall, like some Joe Hulkenberg, Sonoda battles, just some good midfield. Yeah, some good midfield fun. And I've been saying this, but I think it shows there's so much to this season and so much to watch for, even if Max is going to win. I don't want to be the in the olden days guy because I don't know how long everyone's been watching F1 here. But no, it's helpful that I'm I'm not an olden days person. <laughs> I'm gonna gather round the tree with Uncle Spanners. Let me tell you about the <laughs> olden days. But you know, there's 22, 23 races now, and and you just can't say a season is over after five or six races. Last yeah. season, I was trying to crawl back through the headlines. And you could really see people were talking about when will Ferrari win? You know, is yeah. this going to be a <laughs> It was this point last year. Yeah. Is this going to be a runaway Leclerc season? And I think he qualified on pole, didn't he, in uh, in Barcelona last year. Yeah. I can't remember mm-hmm. what happened to him in the race, but he disappeared because I know Verstappen won that and uh, yeah. Sainz was second, Russell third, Hamilton fifth or something. Uh, so you can't give up on a season this early. I think a lot of people are stuck on when there was a standard kind of 15, 16 races. If someone built up a two race win equivalent lead, you kind of go, well, it's over because there's no time to come back. But there's still like 17 races left. So I I kind of feel like with all those city tracks and those street tracks out of the way that we're having a a season B, well, this is a B spec season starting again for Mm. for Europe. And then we're going to go to Montreal. I think we've got some great tracks coming up. So if you started a season like this and you look at the F1 calendar, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll Google it and look it up now this would be an amazing way to start the season. So I'll call for the F1 season to start in June and uh, go through, <laughs> have a Christmas break, and then finish in February. So I think with that, then it might be that Mercedes is having an excellent start to their season. It might come out on top. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to talk about Mercedes and also the track layout and the removal of the final chicane, which Spanners, I know you have lots of thoughts on. <laughs> but for me, I for Mercedes, I don't need to tell everyone how I feel about it. I am over the moon. I'm really excited to see how these upgrades continue to fare uh, to Spanner's point, you know, on more representative tracks, less fewer street or temporary circuits. I think that's going to be super interesting. It was so nice just to see an actual smile on Toto's face, which is a rare, <laughs> rare thing to see. <laughs> and I have to say, I have to give a shout out to the relatively low drama and I thought teamwork between the the two, George and Lewis. There was potential for some drama, I think, during quali with that collision. And then you never know how strategies are going to play out in the race. They were definitely close. <laughs> so I I was I was excited about that. I have to say, I don't know if I'll be able to delude myself into thinking that they'll be up there fighting with Max anytime soon. But maybe Constructors is up for grabs. Maybe. <laughs> Those are my thoughts. That's kind of a hot take. Constructors up for grabs. I think it's now... <laughs> Red Bull is now Aston Martin and Mercedes combined has one more point. I think Red Bull's 287 <laughs> and Aston Martin and Mercedes combined are like 286. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I see that. For a second. <laughs> but we're going to see what happens with Checo. I, I know Spanners and Chessa, you guys are huge Checo fans, but... I'm <laughs> It's not, no, over. it's not people are writing it off right? okay so it probably is over like if you want to be realistic about no, it no don't say that <laughs> i'm actually really downbeat as a paris fan for the for the first time in a, a long time I, I try to be optimistic but obviously they've got two very different driving styles and it was helmut marco's words that were saying oh yeah perez was obviously giving max a lot of trouble but that situation has now resolved itself like you, you can't say that <laughs> if you are giving the drivers a fair shake at the stick because Perez was on equal pace for the beginning of the season. And he was, you know, yeah, maybe not quite as good as Verstappen, but was getting results. And then all of a sudden, obviously there's a few qualifying mistakes that have happened, but all of a sudden the pace, the core pace is completely gone. So they turn up at Miami, even though Perez has got a pole, it it seems like they're in different cars again. So you have this distinct pattern where they seem to start the season in the same cars. And then what happens? Is is Max just terrible at the beginning of seasons? Or do they internally just go, this isn't right? And by the first development cycle, they just you know make sure they're developing it more towards Max. Because you don't suddenly go from being very well-matched drivers to 
you know, a second apart on race pace. So you kind of go, look, teams have always in F1 made that decision, number one, number two driver. And I, I think that the Perez threat at the beginning of last season was dealt with. And I think at this, uh, at that, sorry, last season, they signed a contract early. I don't think they're going to re-sign him early now. I think they've learned their lesson that he's a bit too competitive and I think that they're going to move on. And so I'm thinking it's going to be Sonoda next season. Sorry. We, and, wow. Whoa, you're coming out so we always strong have, here. Wow. We always have this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, we love a hot take. But we think like I, I've always said this. I'm a huge Checo fan and it sucks when you're a huge fan of someone and you're like, oh, but they're a great number two driver. Like Checo has the right personality, everything. But I think you're right. And actually – not to like be a conspiracy theorist, but like maybe Helen Marco did help the 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 situation resolve itself. And then yesterday, yeah, after the race, they were interviewing Horner, and they were like, "What's the deal? Like, Checo's just fallen so back, like he's basically like not in the running anymore." And he was like, "Oh, I think that's great though because it'll just take the pressure off of Checo." And I'm like, "Checo does fine under pressure. Like he like this is. <laughs> I just don't like how this is going." I was just going to say, I think there are a couple other things at play too. We know that Checo is really good at street circuits and there have been heavy street circuit or temporary circuit, you know, favored over the beginning of the part of the season. I think it's natural that Checo maybe falls off the pace a little bit as we get into more regular or classic tracks. And I also think it's no secret that Red Bull has a chosen one and Max has always been it. And so I don't think it's a debate that they're probably developing the car more for Max's style. But I, I also think though, yeah, I don't want to be harsh, but it's also like when was last time Max put the car on the wall in quality? You know, it's kind of at a certain point. I know, sorry to the Checo fans, <laughs> but at a certain point it is when Max can just deliver every single lap, every single weekend, I think it does make the contrast a little more stark. But I would love your thoughts on the Sonoda possibility, because I even think as much as Red Bull kind of doesn't want that much of a threat or that much competition to Max, I do still think they want constructors like they're an incredibly competitive and kind of cutthroat operation. And so as long as Checo's kind of delivering on that front, not giving Max too much trouble, still kind of falling into line, I see them keeping him. So he's not falling into line, though. He's very much pushing for himself. I think the game at Red Bull is to hang on in there until Verstappen decides, no, he wants to do cross-country skiing now. And then he's (laughs) going to go. And I think that's the only incentive to go and be the number two at Red Bull. I think Sonoda will go there and will completely plan A, follow orders. He's he's in that program and, and he will develop at the rate that they probably require to then have a backup. But, you know, again, it was Marco has been praising Yuki Tsunoda and we we didn't hear that last season last season we were hearing about his temperament but now he's been praising him been talking about the situation being resolved and you kind of go that's adding up isn't it so <laughs> if you're a Perez fan which which you know two of us here are maybe we don't want to see Perez being put in this position anymore maybe we wait for Alonso to inevitably fall out with Stroll and then he takes the the Stroll position and goes back to Oh, no, I guess it, it didn't end well last time, did it? Uh, so, But there's other seats. So, you know, there, there'll be an Alpine seat will we'll come uh, uh, together at some point when Gasly and, and Ocon keep hitting each other. I feel at this point, I'd rather see Perez back in the midfield, hustling and going for it again. And and let's see, his his story might not yet be fully resolved. We thought it was done with when McLaren let him go. And look, he did the full circle. He proved himself. He got nine podiums from the midfield. He's one of the best journeyman F1 drivers in F1 history. So get out there, reset, go again. One more time. <laughs> I I like that theory. I I want to dig in a little bit more on Yuki Tsunoda as a number two driver at Red Bull. Do we really think that he has A, the skill, and B, the temperament to sit in the that The temperament. Because my thought is no, but <laughs> I know I'm... I feel I, like we can be a little <laughs> harsh on Yuki on this pod yeah but I think he's just so kind of unpredictable (laughs) it took a long time for him to start kind of showing his current form at Alpha Tauri so yeah tell tell us why we're wrong all right (laughs) sit back and (laughs) bring your leg up no he's a good driver he's he's quick he's um obviously relatively new still I, I I do feel like because he comes across quite young he's facially quite young he's a small guy I feel like when he 
expresses himself and he seems like he expresses himself in the moment in a very fiery way that somehow doesn't sit well with our image of Yuki Tsunoda. We kind of want him to be, I don't know, like a teddy bear in a fairground and we want to pick him up with one of those metal claws and, <laughs> and win him as a prize. Um, but when Kimi Raikkonen screams, steering wheel, steering wheel, it's like, oh, good yeah. old boy, that Kimi. <laughs> oh, he's so funny, isn't he? You know, and I, it just feels when like... When Max was screaming about DRS not opening and they were like, press the button. <laughs> yeah, but look how passionate he is. But when it's Tsunoda, I really just think it's matching perceptions of... of you know, how, how he looks. He doesn't fit the character that we want him to fit, but he's a fiery guy. He's a passionate guy. He's a fast guy. He's in the program We're and, and rated by, by one of the top teams in F1 history. Uh, I don't think we should write him off. I think he's like properly good. He's got potential to have a top shot. I, I hope to be proven wrong on that because I do like Yuki. I just, it's, it's, a, it's big shoes to fill as you know Checo's seat and next to Max and how long can that we've we've seen historically second drivers at Red Bull not fare well with Gasly with Albon you know it takes a lot to be in that seat so Ricardo we could go on couldn't we (laughs) yes we could (laughs) speaking of Ricardo so then does he come in to replace DeVries that's also one of my favorite topics right now kind of Yuki versus DeVries because I have been resoundingly proven wrong I guess I shouldn't be um, betting against Yuki because my whole theory was that DeVries would be kind of the more mature, experienced Formula E champion, come in, make look, Yuki look bad. And it's been shocking how how wrong that was. Did you hear uh, Nick DeVries asking during practice when he kept like losing it and he was saying, what am I doing wrong? What am I and doing sounded- wrong? That was, so, <laughs> that was so sad. Oh my gosh. He sounded lost, didn't he? Uh, yeah. So that's not looking good. But In practice we- at that. Yeah. <laughs> so Ricardo for DeVries. Ricardo. The thing is, Ricardo is old. Sorry, Ricardo fans. I think it, I think it's over for Ricardo because they're not going to start start again and, and rebuild him from the ground up. Um, and I don't think he's got another three or four years to sit in Max's shadow developing to be the one to then overtake, to then take a title charge to against Mercedes and Ferrari. I think he's very much at the end of his career now. So this is the point in his career where he should have taken the the Renault 40 million deal. You know, mm-hmm. he should have stayed at Red Bull, had a, had a crack at Verstappen, and that was his crack at the title. So if you could, if he could have ousted Verstappen, then he would now be the one fighting for world championships and be the two-time world champion. But you've got to go in there and and unseat Verstappen. That's the challenge, and that's hard. And loads and loads of people have failed. Everyone that's gone up against Verstappen within that organization has found themselves looking very, very ordinary. So one of two things is happening. A, Red Bull favor Verstappen heavily, or mm-hmm. that stream of drivers that have gone in that everyone really rates, Albon, Gasly, Perez, um, People rate Perez less, but you and me, Chessa, we know, uh, <laughs> are, are just second tier compared to the tier that Verstappen and, say, Hamilton occupy. Uh, so that that was the goal. You do that, and, and then you go and go off on your journeyman journey. But he bailed early and said, well, I'll take my, my Renault 40 million. Don't blame him at all. Then I'll take the McLaren money. And that put him out of the contention. That put He, he removed himself from contention for a world championship. And I don't think he did it on the belief that Alpine or was it Renault at the time were going to go up and challenge and be world title contenders. Did he, he didn't buy into that. Did he, did anyone? So he did that. Did anyone think McLaren were just about to just find that one click of a finger, that one thing that was going to push them back up the grid? No, I don't think anyone did. So, you know, he took that journeyman route early and now he's got a, a lucrative contract. I'm sure to be PR, to be entertaining. So no, Sorry. Sorry, Danny fans. <laughs> My hot take is that Danny is does not want to come back to F1 and be I in agree. a seat. I think he is living and loving his life and he's getting paid millions of dollars to do promo and have a fantastic lifestyle. Oh, I <laughs> and I think it's not too bad. <laughs> okay, should we get into MVP and LVP? So Spanners, give us your most valuable player of the weekend. Driver, team. The chicane, whatever I'm you gonna want. I'm going to nick Tiggies because I've got a feeling. I've got a feeling yeah. that you're going to want to do Lewis Hamilton. But I'm taking it. Taking you it. Can. Lewis Hamilton. He's good at race cars, isn't he? Lewis Hamilton. Don't yes, underestimate him. And look, it's it's um it's not really just for that one-off performance. You know, in a, in a way, that, that Mercedes slotted in this weekend behind Red Bull, 
and it was much better on the tyres and race pace than Ferrari, and it blew Aston Martin completely out of the water. Mm-hmm. Alonso had some, maybe some floor uh, damage, some floor issues. So the Mercedes was kind of always going to have the pace to slot in third and fourth. And, uh, you know, and so Perez takes himself out of that in qualifying. Uh, the, there's more to the MVP than just bringing it home in second. The fact is he has been working so hard with the team, having the sensors on his car, sacrificing results last season, not letting his pride get in the way, not minding that Russell was sitting there getting, you know, fifth place, fifth place, fifth place, time after time while he was struggling with trying different things. So he gets MVP for collecting on that. But do you guys watch the live timings during during the race? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I'm absolutely like glued to them because I really want to be able to sit and go which drivers were performing well on those stints. And every single stint, Lewis Hamilton absolutely outclassed George Russell, who is no mug by any means, but he out, he was doing better in uh, in practice, qualifying. And you come to a track like this, which tests every aspect of the, of the car, every aspect of the driver, and he just looked absolutely on fire. And for someone who, who, you know, he's coming under fire from a young talent and people really do rate George Russell. But if you look at the results that Russell has got over Hamilton, they have been from good strategy calls. Very, very rarely when you watch the lap times on comparable stints, does George Russell have the same race pace as as Hamilton? And yesterday it was clear. And he was still even, I think, holding something back in case he had to defend later. So Lewis Hamilton, MVP. And I'm not biased. I'm completely neutral. I just <laughs> happen to have really admired Hamilton's uh, performance yesterday. And also for long-suffering Lewis Hamilton fans, uh, yeah, we've had it so hard. We've had we it have. so hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long yeah, time. <laughs> barely seven championships we've uh, we've got to enjoy. <laughs> and, and we've had this brief period of not winning. But, you know, it was really cool to see him there. And you kind of go, hmm, a couple of upgrades done well. and. Allison, I think, was saying, James Allison at Mercedes was saying, there are upgrades coming to every race. Yep. I'm assuming that Red Bull's punishment kicks in at some point. They brought upgrades to this race, but if they keep bringing upgrades all season, I am going to write a strongly worded letter of complaint to, <laughs> I guess, uh, Stefano Dominicali. So at some point, <laughs> it looks like Mercedes have the ability to upgrade more. Red Bull, I'm, I'm assuming, don't. So that gap is going to close somewhat. So MVP, go Lewis. Here, here. I love that. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of splitting mine between Max and Russell because I know this is kind of a bit of ordinary. I know you guys are like, oh, Sarah saying Max did a good job. Um, I think it is kind of ordinary fair from him at this point, but he won by 25 seconds, fastest in every practice, pull, let every lap. Fastest lap, one. So got to give a shout out to that. But Russell P12 to podium, I think, was super impressive. Dare I say, kind of Max-esque. So oh good job from Mercedes overall. Yeah, I was going to give mine actually to the the entire Mercedes team. Lewis, George, the strategy I thought was great. And then also just the team on the upgrades. So Spanners, I don't have much more to add than what you said. I'm a Lewis ride or die forever. And this has been a very long time since those seven world championships. And I have suffered immensely. So yeah, I'm just going to understand how Lewis fans have it, how hard we have it. Tiny violins over here. Um, and I can't believe I'm saying this too, but I think Mercedes LVP, I'm just going to jump on that. LVP? Or sorry, Babe. MVP. No, MVP. <laughs> oh, oh, that will be hot. No, MVP. I think um, I'm happy for them and I'm really happy for Russell. And I think their post-race interviews were just not like gloating. They were just like, it's time. The hard work has been put in. We're seeing it come through and we're going to maximize on it. And it made me really happy. We all need a little extra health booth sometimes, and Fleur Marche makes it easy for us to supercharge our wellness. Their botanical wellness patches have been such a fun addition to our routine. We just stick them on wherever we want. They have them for sleep, relaxation, focus, and other things. And the patch delivers ingredients to your body in a subtle but effective way, and the results last up to 12 hours. Fleur Marche also has botanical gummies and their new organic nutritional powder, Green Machine. They only use the best ingredients and are tested for potency, contaminants, and heavy metals before and after production. And one of our favorite things, we also love that the company is founded and inspired by women with the mission of helping us feel 100% every single day so that we can have full energy and crush it every day. 
Find your new wellness essentials at fleurmarche.com and get a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order site-wide with promo code for the girls at checkout. Orders over $50 also get free shipping. Go to fleurmarche, F-L-E-U-R-M-A-R-C-H-E.com. Use code for the girls for 20% off your first order. Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacova's your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacova's. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal. And with regular live music and events, there's really no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, though, just visit tecovas.com, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Women's health is so important, and balanced hormones are key for that. We've been loving Hormone Harmony from Happy Mammoth, who's committed to making women's lives easier. Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code F1Rthegirls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1Rthegirls for 15% off today. So those were our MVPs. Okay, now we can do our LVPs. Spanners, you can start. Is that least valuable? Least person? valuable player. Oh, least valuable player. I think, um, I don't know. Oh, it's, it's negative, isn't it? It's so easy to focus on who's done really well. But I, <laughs> I have an argument with my co-host, uh, Matt Trumpets, nearly every week because he's a massive Ocon fan. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to give the LVP to his move on Alonso, which Matt <laughs> was even trying to defend. I, I, I've been watching that on a loop and it was crazy because it was quite far back. Like it was even before the, the breaking zone. I just don't know what he thought he was going to do. <laughs> and, and it was so late and it was so aggressive and Alonso had to go around the outside and you go, well, I hope he knew exactly where the wall was and what the grip levels were going to be like for Alonso. Did he expect Alonso to, to to break? No, he was expecting Alonso to go over that white line and, and you know, go to, to less grippy things at the last minute. I thought that was horrible. And then Matt's like, no, 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 he did. it was a completely accident and he didn't mean to. Rub it. It, was a, <laughs> it was a really desperate, uh, desperate defending move. And it's the kind of move that results in aeroplane crashes. And I instantly uh, put my mind to Stroll and Alonso crashing last year. And I forget which track it was, but, uh, you know, Alonso went all the way up in the air, could see his whole floor. He was like a, a cobra. And then he slammed down into the ground again. And you go, that's the kind of accident where, where things go wrong quickly. Mm, yeah. But I will say, like, in the post-race interviews, and I'm going to stand by this that I think Alonso is up to something with this nice guy vibe that he has going. But he was like, it was a great move on with Akon. Like, it was fine. It went well. Like, challenged me a little bit, but I made it. I was like, what are you? I agree with you, Spanners. I, I, think, I, think, I think he's like having counseling or something. He's having therapy. And they're like, oh, you know, uh, okay, sit down, Alonso. Sit down, Fernando. Fernando. Let's do a scenario. Somebody, they can't cross you. What do you say? I say I want to kill him with the, the fire of a thousand suns. No, no, no. What did we talk about? What did we talk about? Hey, it was a good move, but uh, he's doing really well and I wish him the best. You know, it's like, <laughs> does that make sense? It's yes. F1 PR school. He's had <laughs> maybe there's a line, maybe there's a line in the contract that's like for every compliment he gives, he makes an additional 500,000. I would not be surprised. <laughs> You got to incentivize people the way that they should be incentivized. And for Fernando, it definitely money seems to be at play here. <laughs> we need to listen for a pause next time, you know, in, in his car, like the event happens. I bet there's a distinct pause where he just goes. <sighs> <sighs> Don't forget what you learned, Fernando. I love you, Lance. <laughs> it's really unlucky, but good try. I hope everyone has fun. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, okay, my LVP, um, it, it was Aston Martin, just in general, the pace was not what we were expecting this weekend, and I did 
despite us making fun of Alonso right now, I do like the comeback he's having. So I did want to have a Spaniard on podium. And then my second runner up LVP was Charles's post-race interview. He looked like he was about to burst into tears. It was very (laughs) rough. (laughs) Oh no, mine. Yeah. Mine was Lando's front wing. I guess it might also have been Lando's fault, which sad to admit, but I was just so excited. I always love a kind of surprise top five. I was so excited for him to get to show off what he can do a little bit this race. And it lasted about 30 that was short lived. No, less than 30 seconds. It lasted like 10 seconds, maybe. It was just such a bummer. And I think he he got a little overzealous with with that move, but I wish his front wing could have held on. That was that was really tragic. I was sad for the McLarens. And I definitely want to talk about their pace and whether we think anything is track specific or their car is just the drag. <laughs> it's it's not good. I don't know the specifics of how you set your car up for the race or how you set your car up for quality. And I've, I've tried to speak to people about it. Like we have our tech guy, Summers F1, always the best F1 tech person. Everyone should go and follow him. But I've never been able to pick apart in my head like the technicalities of what you do between getting an ultimate one lap car and then adjusting for the race pace. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is to do with you know how quickly you heat up the tires. Do you get them fired up quickly so that you get a hot, sticky tire just for that one lap? Or do you sacrifice a bit of that so that you've got you know tire management throughout the race? So I think it's probably along those lines. I don't know how you do it. But for example, when Leclerc was getting a pit lane start, Ferrari said, okay, well, now we've changed the setup more to the race. Okay, so there's obviously, like, I haven't dreamt that. There is a choice between you know, prioritizing qualifying and, and the race. Yeah. And, and now, in modern F1, I don't think qualifying has ever been less important. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's, if you accidentally find yourself with a car that is consistently out-qualifying its race pace, i.e. Ferrari, and clearly whatever they were doing at McLaren to get that one lap pace, <laughs> I think you probably have to look at that and say, that's not the way to go. If you're Lando Norris, do you really want you know the, that glory hot lap? He probably doesn't even know where it where it came from, you know. And uh, yeah, obviously he's driven well. Yeah, he seems surprised yeah. in the interview. He was like, I didn't, I didn't expect to be here. Like happy. So to wouldn't be you here. rather just stick Lando Norris on twelve with some good tire management and hope that you can then get into the points instead of just you know, had he not gloriously taken his front wing out, uh, he would have just been <laughs> drifting depressingly back down the grid anyway. <laughs> Well, might have not, at least it could have been in the points, potentially. The announcers were calling the McLaren a one-lap wonder, which I thought yeah. was really mean. sad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true, but like, it's, it's something to look out for as well is uh, there's certain drivers who just do not prioritize qualifying. And one of those is Lewis Hamilton. And he yeah. hasn't prioritized uh, qualifying since around, since 2015. He had that battle with Nico Rosberg in 2014 where it was it was really, really close. That could have gone. Either way, because that was double points, Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm. Don't know if anyone remembers that. They, they, Abu Dhabi desperately wanted to be uh, a title decider. So they made it double points <laughs> to increase the chances of the title being decided there. So, and Rosberg had a dodgy gearbox. If it had been the other way around, Rosberg's 2014 champion. Uh, Hamilton was more than a race win ahead at that time. Come 2015, they have a qualifying trophy. And I, I don't think that, that that's around anymore, but they gave the best qualifier, the person who won the most pole positions, a trophy. And then and Nico Rosberg got it at the end of the season and he looked like kind of angry. They were like, congratulations, you're the best oh, no. qualifier. And what you've lost the championship again. <laughs> he just, he looked visibly upset at getting this trophy. But in 2015, honestly, I don't think Lewis was prioritizing qualifying to, to the same extent. So happy to give up a bit of qualifying pace and, and just look out for the drivers that, and the teams that do that because yeah qualifying's never been less important yeah toto said that about the mercedes car he was like we'd have we have less of a qualifying car and more of a race pace car which to me seems like a choice right so they're definitely choosing to do that oh, he said that okay so i'm definitely yeah. not mad you can no. choose between okay but i do think like okay it's easy to say that to ha- that you want to have a race pace car versus a quality car but i think for some of the mid to low teams where you're just like grateful to get one point you do need to have like a crazy good quality to maybe put you in in the in the in a good start position to maybe let some crazy act of god get you in the point so i think like for the bottom half of the grid maybe that's like what you're striving for so that like something crazy can happen maybe you can scramble at points but otherwise it's a great point and and with ferrari as well uh, (laughs) 
they they because they qualify much better than they race. Yes. I yeah. often wonder if that's for the headlines because I think they're under a lot of pressure. The Italian press is notoriously yeah. really harsh on Ferrari, and I think that's why preseason testing they they come out and they do lower you know fuel runs than people traditionally. And on a Friday, they come out and they look much better on a Friday than they do on a on a Saturday even. And I do wonder if it's they've got people on their shoulder, uh, you know, and they're going, see, look, look, look at the, the timing sheet. And maybe it looks better to qualify high. And, it, you know, the questions would start being asked if they qualified fifth, even if yeah. it meant they'd have overcome Mercedes this weekend. Do you totally. think that if they focused on being a race pace car and were qualifying like sixth and seventh, they could do it? No, because <laughs> someone would, I would just put the, the the wheels on back to front, or put the front wing on the back wing, or <laughs> yeah. or just just hit Leclerc in from the lead randomly. I don't know what is going on in that in that team. It's something just systematic where at every level there is an opportunity for disaster. And have you seen? Do you know how you spot a Ferrari fan in the stands? Yeah, you can't see their faces, They're crying, got their head in their hands. <laughs> Uh, not in a surprise way. What do we think? How sad is Charles's next piano song going to be after this one? <laughs> this is worst quality since Monaco 2019. I think we're in for a really like an eight minute <laughs> piano song. To be honest. <laughs> All right, let's let's do our how our hot takes held up before we jump into the race. So before wait before we do that, I got it. That's a good segue into my LVP, which was the Ferrari pace. Oh right, and we could Sorry. talk about that. We could talk about that later. But yeah, I had to give a shout out to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for our hot takes, Spanners, you said maybe a chicane was a hot take of yours. Give us. Yeah, so sorry. Yeah, obviously, I wasn't here to. Uh, I can just pretend whatever hot take I made was correct. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was really, I was hoping that this final turn instead of the chicanes would give us more overtaking and more racing down the main straight into turn one. And and everyone, I think, rightly predicted that it would. The only concern was how well would the cars be able to follow through turn 14? And I think one thing I didn't quite realize was how the corner really didn't start out of turn 13, the one before it. So, so you had to, you get that exit out of turn 13 and that's you all the way through 14 down the main straight. So the incident with Russell was because he, he had to let signs pass between 13 and 14. That compromised his exit. Uh, but during the race, it looked like people could follow just fine. So in qualifying, they were right on the limit of maybe even being flat. I don't think anyone managed it flat out in the end. But if you look at the Logan Sargent uh, off, that was qualifying as well, wasn't it? Or was that practice? I think that was free practice three. He was right on that limit where, how, how close can I get to not lifting? And then it bit him on the exit. And so that track has always done that. It's always bitten drivers on the exit mm. because it screams for you to accelerate a little bit earlier every time, to not lift as much every time. Uh, so in qualifying, it looked like it maybe it was going to be two on the edge. But it, with race fuel, it looked like you know all the cars were giving it a, a, a big lift and a shift down, and they were able to follow through there and get a big drag down the straight. So to me, that is that's a big, big win. For, for Barcelona and for that track. And I think it's a big win for getting rid of all the safety chicanes in Formula One. So there was this big habit in the 90s. I see <laughs> people laughed at me to start with, but I've been banging this drum for, for years now. <laughs> in Montreal, get rid of the one uh, on the by the Wall of Champions and, and do something more interesting. Yes, still have to break and turn, but something more interesting than coming to a, a dead halt and one by one shuffling through that chicane or having to take the run off and escape. So yeah, all those ones, and like the one at the end of of Sochi, the Sector 3 chicane at Imola, all these really slow stop chicanes that were designed just to take the the edge off the the straight line speed. Mm -hmm. Safety's not what it was in the 90s. It's much better. We can do better. Mm -hmm. We can have more interesting corners. We can start to uh, restore some of these racetracks. Because if you look at the stadium section in Mexico, they, they fly down the straight, come into the stadium, come to basically a dead halt through uh, what is effectively like a triple chicane. And that, that's where that we sat. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? Yeah. And it looks great in the stadium. I'd love to go. Oh, I saw you guys. You were all there in the stadium <laughs> with microphones. It you was so fun. Up. That so was a blast. That guarantees, that guarantees that the cars are spaced out down that front straight. And I'm sure we could do something more interesting where you're, you're coming into that corner, maybe in a, um, you know, a third or fourth gear corner and able to follow and then race down. So, yeah, my my prediction, my hot take has always been get rid of these safety chicanes. So uh, that's one down, and now just all the rest to go. 
No easy feat though. Let's see. <laughs> I have to agree with you though. I feel like some of the the argument is, oh, it will bunch the cars up more. We'll have better racing. But I don't think that's actually true. We just saw this with Barcelona. Like it's it's just not the case. We've had much better racing and much better overtaking without it. All right. That's it. That's a good hot take. I like that. I had Mercedes on podium and both McLaren's in the point. So definitely a win for Mercedes on podium, but I don't know how much it's erased by Lando's suffering, but overall I'll count that as one for sure. sure. (laughs) That's definitely a win. And Sarah, I was so happy when you said that hot take to manifest the Mercedes so I didn't have to do it. And I'm just happy to be riding along on your coattails. (laughs) Um, For me, I said Alonso was going to win. I just said, I'm going to keep riding this train until (laughs) Alonso wins a race. One of us keeps saying Alonso's going to win just until maybe it'll eventually happen. <laughs> it but was. now, I don't know. We'll see. We'll it was his that. worst race of the season so far. So <laughs> I, well, yeah. I, that's I was all right I behind you. <laughs> I had both bangers on podium, which I'm embarrassed. I'm, that's all I'm going to say. Bad. Bad, bad. I need to overperform <laughs> next next time. I have to say, like all season, I've been saying that the Aston Martin wouldn't do well in the first round of upgrades. And they just, but they kept kind of just, being the second fastest car so I just, i've been sounding mad all season saying no 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 honestly because imagine you know you you, you know you, you listen to this this idiot in a shed and he's saying see that second fastest car right there with the billionaire owner with the two-time world champion probably one of the all-time greats of f1 driving it that car is going to disappear from being the second best car and and just drop down the the pecking order it sounds mad and so I've sounded mad over the last six races, but and I've been desperately sitting there going, come on, it's got to happen at the upgrades, surely. And, and it has. And look, uh, you know, the, the traditionally, some teams are better than upgrade uh, upgrades than others. So Mercedes are always really good at bringing upgrade packages. Where Red Bull are fantastic at it, but obviously they're going to be hobbled this year. Uh, Ferrari, not as good compared to those guys. They tend to go relatively backwards. And the outfit that is now at, uh, Aston Martin was Force India. And Force India mm. always had the philosophy of let's put all our eggs in one basket, get a good package up front, and then and then kind of cling on. And that's no disgrace. I think that's a, a, a good way to go about things. Um, they're really inventive. They don't mind looking at other teams and being inspired by them. And uh, that's legal. Okay. <laughs> and then yeah, they come out with that package, throw all their eggs at a really good performance with a top driver, learn a bunch from that experience, and and then come back next year and, and do it again but better. And I think they'll they'll do that for a season or two before they're the team that then has a, a great upgrade package throughout the, the season. So do we think so I would love to talk about Aston Martin, yeah, because that was one of your kind of hot takes that ended up being incredibly, incredibly true about these upgrades. So I also just would love your thoughts on the Alonzo dynamic, because as Chessa was saying, it's suspicious, the flower sniffing, just what's going on. And you said, yeah, and you said that they're inevitably going to fall out. So what do you, what do you think, what's going on? Well, we've all got that mate, don't we, that has like intense, intense best friend periods and then they fall out with that best friend and then they've got a new best friend all right you don't have to say it out loud but we're all thinking of that person in our head that we know does that <laughs> and has the drama and that feels like that's kind of you know his relationship so he he you know he walked walked away from Renault after two world championships managed to divide the whole garage at McLaren in 2007 yeah. and the, managed to destroy McLaren's relationship with with Honda and I'm imagining Honda wouldn't particularly want him back after all, you know, calling the engine a GP2 engine uh, publicly in front of everybody. Uh, looks like things with Alpine did not end well either, and he jumped <laughs> oh ship. God. And each of those relationships has started off being like, oh, yeah, no, this is going to be the most amazing thing. We're best friends. We live in each other's pockets. We're going to have babies at the same time. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and then and then it falls out. So. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Occam's Razor says the simplest logical conclusion is that he will end up falling out with the Strolls at some point. Uh, and he's, and the thing is, he's making Lance Stroll look really bad. So it's got all the ingredients for some kind of inevitable blow up. He's making him look bad, but at the same time, like that's what he's doing. But then when you hear what he's saying, it's like, oh, no, don't worry. I'm not going to pressure you. Oh, that was a nice little move by Lance. So. I, I don't know about this. I, I might beg to differ. I think it might be different this time, but you have the, the history that you've seen more. Yeah. So. 
He's changed. He's changed. No, yeah. What was it? Miami. The oh, I was watching the I was watching the TVs. Lance had such a nice move into turn. He's one. changed. He's different this time. You fools. You fools. <laughs> yeah. Don't go back. Don't. I yeah. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily different. I think there will be spice and fire. Where there's smoke, there is fire, and eventually it will come out. <laughs> it's gonna be forever. It's gonna go down in yes. flames. If you if know, you know. You know. You know. <laughs> reference. Um. But I, yeah, that was what I kept saying kind of through silly season last year, like, oh, this is a horrible idea. We have a billionaire owner whose son is one of the drivers. We have a very fiery world champion coming in. There's no way this works out. It's going to be horrible. And then I've been concerned about my prediction based on how best friendly everyone seems. But I'm, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Spanners, we need to have you back on in like six months. (laughs) After maybe a fiery Alonzo Stroll Definitely. crash. This has been so much fun. But have you ever, uh, I don't know, if you've experienced a coalition government where you have two parties <laughs> that are fierce rivals come together? And we had it in, in Britain a while back where the Conservative Party didn't have enough seats, so had to bring in a coalition government with the Liberal Democrats. And the whole time they were going, oh, it's the relationship is really good. In fact, it's probably even better than an outright majority. They, they brought so much more to, to our thinking and um, we've evolved together. This is amazing. And then like two years later, the knives were fully out and they destroyed the Liberal Democrat Party, threw them into the wilderness for a decade. That's <laughs> happening one way or the other with this coalition of Alonzo and Stroll. <laughs> That's so good. Okay, I want to bring the conversation to another pair that has or had the potential to be very contentious and that we have not talked about as much, but Ocon and Gasly. I I would love to hear your take, A, on their relationship, and B, who you think the better driver is. And the future, yeah, Spanners, the future of Alpine this season. I mean, they've they've had a good couple races. Sorry, I didn't want to assume you were going to me. I, I am a bit chatty and I will go on. You just no, hands up when you need me to stop. Uh, who's the better driver? Okay, so I think we have got two drivers here who have not proved themselves to take that kind of step up to be top tier. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. You know, these mm-hmm. driver these totally. driver matchups are like UFC bouts. You know, we, we treat these, these fights like heavyweight uh, fights. They go up against each other. And when you lose a teammate battle it, it kind of hurts you it's like you got knocked out in front of the full stadium your stock goes down a little bit and you're hurt and I think Ocon's stock you know kind of got hurt because if you go up against Perez and you've got uh, aspirations to be a Verstappen or a Hamilton you should beat Perez and we're, we're Perez fans you know so I'm no, no, I'm no, no, no sorry Chessa uh, but yeah that's like there are certain drivers where you go you need to beat that driver in this this in this boxing match in this matchup so you have to go and beat stroll you have to go and dominate stroll it's actually not enough to beat stroll if like vettel looked bad against stroll even though he was beating him alonso's done what you would expect the top driver to do which is go and go and smash him but i think if you are gasly and you go into a team and ocon is there you have to beat ocon for your reputation the value the stock the trump card of ocon is such that he's good people rate him he's likable but you go to a team with aspirations to being the next Verstappen, as Gasly is doing, you have to go in there and dominate. So at the moment, Gasly's not doing that. Yeah. We're seeing too much of him in the gravel, too much of him in the wall, not going out there and, and being consistently good against Ocon. So I'm not making an absolute value judgment about Ocon's uh, ability. I'm saying in the, in the current market, if you don't go and beat Ocon, that hurts you. And I don't think he's showing that he's massively better than Ocon right now. I like that. I like that a lot. Very well put. That was a great point. Trin, and a bit of a pivot here, but we haven't talked about Ferrari very much just besides general feelings of sadness. But (laughs) what is kind of your take on the problems in – it seems very kind of well accepted now that it's clearly kind of a systemic problem throughout the organization. We had talked about how maybe replacing Bonotto was just – kind of trying to put a Band-Aid on a much, much bigger issue and could even make things worse to have a bit of a leadership shakeup when maybe stability was what they needed. But just kind of where do they go from here? How do they keep poor Charles's morale up? I just don't – I'm I'm, I'm worried for them and for the Italian fans. <laughs> and Carlos as well. I mean, his – both of their contracts are – are they both 2024, end of 2024? I think one of them is 2025, okay. maybe. That seemed yeah. like such a good idea at the time, didn't it, with Leclerc 
Yeah. Like his yeah. face when he signed that five-year contract. He looks so happy. It is um, just pain. Well, the thing is, is both of them, I, th- I think both of them would want out now. Uh, they do. They definitely do. But it's bad news because, so today, I think as we're recording now, is the final contract chat between Wolf and, and Hamilton. That look, mm-hmm. I'm so confident that's going to go ahead. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm sure it's more of an argument between lawyers about, oh, do you get hat purchase sales or whatever? I don't think it's yeah, about Hamilton made it seem like totally it was, agree. Was a Yeah. We talked about this, the Ferrari Hamilton thing was such a joke. We were joking about how oh. the media was bored, and then Hamilton went to the press yeah. conference and was like, the media's bored. Obviously, I'm not talking to Ferrari. Can I rant about that in the press? Right, okay. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. Something to look out for, right? In the in the olden days as, as well, is we kind of knew that the Italian press, in the F1 press, just loves a, a gossip and a rumor. And they, and they love it. And their bar for reporting something as news was uh, lower because they love that kind of sensationalist. Oh, Hamilton's been approached. He's going to be, he's going to be signed. So we kind of got used to that. Um, and actually, so you would know if you, if that source came from like the Gazetta or whatever, you'd kind of go, Oh, okay. There's some, it, there might be something to it, but it, there's an entertainment value to that. Uh, but now what happens is that people just go and farm and I could name and shame. I could mention F1 clickbait, uh, Twitter accounts and websites all they do is they farm Italian press, German press, French press for these outrageous rumors and just print them wholesale as clickbait uh, articles. But they have now got so much prevalence and are so big and so popular that that now has a second tier where then it gets reported on Sky, BBC, and it just gets picked up by and everyone. our podcast. <laughs> yeah, <absolutely>. <laughs> <laughs> when it gets to that critical mass where everyone's talking about Hamilton to Ferrari, you get swept up in it. But there was never any basis to it. Uh, so there we go. I don't know. No, that's that sound. Yeah, it had a very tabloidy flavor to it for sure. It definitely did. But even if Charles and Carlos want out, it's like, where do they go from Ferrari? There aren't that many open spots that are palatable, I feel like, to either of them. Yeah, Russell's just signed an extension to 25. So he'll be racing mm-hmm. with Mercedes this year, next year, and the year after. So there isn't really anywhere to go. So that, And if he had not signed that five-year deal, might Leclerc have got in instead of Russell? Might Leclerc mm. have had a sniff at the Red Bull seat? That would so, be such a crazy thing. I was, I was going to say what... What about one of them to Red Bull replacing Checo? Yeah, what? too too hard. I, I don't think that that's that's not how Red Bull operate. They're more like the rule of two in Star Wars, yeah. aren't they? So that you know they want the master and the apprentice. They don't yeah. want to to what happens when you have two Darth Vaders? I don't know. I don't really watch that series. <laughs> sorry. Anything else before we do our radio of the week and standings? Spanners, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for coming. No, that's on. all right. Next time we do it in Mexico. Press pass is on you. Yes. 100%. <laughs> I'm, I'm from Mexico, so I can hook up the full. Let's do it. Vamos. <laughs> Mexico City experience. You know, I would yeah. love to be in that stadium, you know, Perez on the podium, or even just as a Perez fan, you know, supporting Perez there. Like, as much as I, I don't like the layout through there, the stadium itself must be an amazing place to watch. And it, it looks like it just kicks off as well after yeah, the podium. Crazy. And the I energy say, oh, was the party. absolutely crazy. Yeah. And then after the race, when you go down onto the track and they have the stage and the balloons and the confetti, it's just, it's such a blast. Yeah. And I'm a logistical queen and it was like the most easy, like just a very relaxing race to attend for the full week. And they park the car like right under the podium yeah. as well. So cool. Yeah, they, that's the one where they lift the winner up onto the podium, isn't it? That's cool. Through the through the thing, yeah, it's very fun. They would never do anything. Like the next race where we're going to Austria this year, which we're very excited for. It's our first time going to a European race on like the classic summer swing, so we're super excited. Oh, that's amazing! I tell you what, that is a good track because at first you go seven turns. That's rubbish, <laughs> but the way they all kind of drag up to the you know up. up not maybe the home straight doesn't have an overtaking opportunity, but the next couple, uh, they really can. Like it's a big slipstream battle, and that was where if you go back and look at I think 2015, Rosberg versus Hamilton, where they had a big coming together. You know, it's got real good racing opportunities there, and um, yeah, a, a fun one to drive in the sims as well, and you can get a real feel of of the overtaking opportunities. And yeah, they do kind of follow each other through the, the twisty bit, but then you get back out onto the the square. And it's like a, almost like a square oval in a way. <laughs> it is. A squoval, if you will. Squoval. Yeah, that's, that's the squoval. 
Before we wrap, we have to talk about Nico Rosberg doing the post-race interview with Hamilton. <laughs> oh my god. Just the both of their faces. It was so funny. I thought they handled it pretty well on on camera, but <laughs> that was yeah, ironic. You never want to kind of just say about an individual, oh, I don't like that individual. But yeah. okay, so but Nico Rosberg, you know, he goes out of his way to do a, a fiery hot take, and that's the approach, you know. So a lot of like mainstream presenters try to be you know neutral and for everyone and when i was doing a gardening radio show i wasn't going to turn up there with hot takes every week you know i'm facilitating this gardening <laughs> show and you just try and be you know neutral and, and nice and 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 appeal to a, as broad an audience as possible nico rosberg does not do that if it's in his mind it comes out and that's no fine that's an, that's an approach to to doing things and johnny herbert was like that as well and and probably Paul DeResta was doing it to an extent that he was trying to sound like he wasn't doing it, but he definitely was doing it. <laughs> uh, but now, Rico, Rico Rosberg, incredibly opinionated. And, you know, you're an ex-world champion. You're entitled to your opinion. But you just do get the sense that everyone around the paddock is really short with him. So, like, Christian mm -hmm. Horner literally just went, mate, you do like slating everyone, don't you? Like, quit that. Yeah, he did. <laughs> to his face on camera. And it was so awkward. Uh, yeah. So you just get the feeling that, that he might have annoyed a few people. All right. So to wrap, we always do our classic radio of the week. This week, we could not choose anything other than George. Is anyone else reporting rain? I think it's sweat from the inside of my helmet. <laughs> I also have a question about this logistically. Why would you be feeling rain inside? Okay, your so helmet? we had a piece of hair out of his balaclava that was dripping sweat, and every time it would break, it would flick the sweat on the inside of the visor. That, I don't even know why we need to know that so much, but. Yes, he did say that. So he thought that there was rain on his visor. It's so funny. He has some like, good other radios, too. His, his engineer was like, that was solid. And he was like, just solid? <laughs> like fishing for compliments. <laughs> his Britishness, it, he's just so, the radios are so proper. I think it's, it's so spitting. Funny. <laughs> there's that movie sorry no i was gonna say he just he just he just really lives up to the kind of movie trope of a, a british action movie star you know the, yep. the big swinging sword thing comes through the factory and stops an inch from his face and then he goes blimey that was close and you know uh, <laughs> and like, yeah. Yeah. so yeah, it doesn't help when you try and tell people no not all british people uh, are like that with the calm passive aggressive weird <laughs> non-swear word swear words and then russell just British is yeah, everywhere. Sugar. sugar on the radio. <laughs> oh, sugar. Oh, oh, sugar. Right after cursing, though. It'll be like immediately after cursing. Then he's like, oh, sugar. <laughs> so to wrap up the drivers. Okay, so we have Max in 170. Checo has fallen back immensely after this weekend at 117. Alonso coming up at 99. Hamilton, 87. Russell, 65. Signs, 58. And Leclerc with 42. And then the constructors is just buckle up for this one. Red Bull 287, Mercedes 152, <laughs> Aston Martin 134. I've got a guessing game for you, if you'd like. Oh, uh, yes, Autosport please. Sport stat, and I don't know if it's a, Autosport tweeted this. Um, so I don't know if you've, if you've seen it, don't cheat, but there have been 417 laps after 17 races, after, after seven races. How many of those laps were led by not a Red Bull? Oh, no. So zero not, is the vote from zero. Tessa, Sarah. Oh, oh wait, how many total laps think. did you say there were? 417 and seven races. 18 laps. <laughs> 18 laps. And Sarah? Uh, I feel like I should go a little higher, maybe 20. No, that feels too high. Is it going to be like three? I think you're all in the right, right, right ballpark. It is 16 laps total. Wow. And you have to remember, that will include... If Verstappen just does a pit stop. Yeah. <laughs> but that didn't yeah. count in Barcelona because all of his pit stops, he still came out in yeah. front of everybody. Yeah, I think else. in the last three races, Red Bull has led every single lap. So I, I wonder if you took away the laps where someone was only ahead because they hadn't pitted, it might be, it might be hundred percent. I'll look into that stat. What a stat. That's absolutely so when people that, say, oh yeah, about the dominant car. It, I think it is the most uh, dominant. It's certainly up there. Yeah. Oh. with the most dominant race cars but i don't think it's over like just look at that mercedes upgrade package their philosophy and what did james allison say when they were talking about the upgrades a few uh, a few races back he said we we're gonna have the upgrades we're gonna hunt 
down our enemies. And he, he <laughs> said, I believe, I, it was only written down on paper, I only read it, but I believe there was like a growl. We will hunt down our enemies. 100%. We will hear the lamentations of their engineers. We will crush them. You heard it here first. Mercedes constructors, they're coming for it. <laughs> On that note, uh, thank you so much, Spanners. This has been amazing. Everybody, please make sure to find the Missed Apex podcast wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube as well. And follow Spanners on Twitter at Spanners Ready. Thank you all. Yes, Spanners has the best takes yeah. on Twitter. So if you have Twitter, people, you need to follow Spanners. I, I let myself think out loud. And, you know, some people take themselves so seriously on Twitter. Like, this is my journalistic reputation that I'm hinging. <laughs> I don't. I'll just whatever I reckon at the time. And I don't really mind if I change my mind. I just go, yeah, I just completely changed my mind on that. So please come have fun with me on Twitter. All right. Thank, Thank you so, you so much. much.